Oh, let's praise the name of the Lord. Would you do that with me right now? What a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. We couldn't do it without you, Lord. There is no way to do it without you, Lord. Help us in this hour, God. We are so in need of you. So in need of you, Lord. So in need of you. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated for just a few moments. I, um, since I'm the, uh, the first speaker of this wonderful conference, I think I, I need to take a, just a quick moment. And in behalf of our speakers, I believe I'm speaking for them as well. I want to thank uh, Pastor Young and Bishop Wilson to put this to heaven, put this together. Uh, to benefit the kingdom of God. I think this is a great uh, conference and a place where we can grow and learn, be blessed, be fed, and then uh, in turn give back. And I appreciate these men very, very, very much. I appreciate Brother Young. Um, you know, after a while, after you live a little bit, I'm, I look young, but I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> then you start appreciating people for the quality of, of, of character. You just overlook the uh, speaking abilities and the preaching abilities. You start looking something that has more relevance, that's more meaningful, because everybody can become a good preacher if you practice. Um, but it's difficult to find men who are true men of God and have a... Uh, a, uh, a uh, truthful character and this is the kind of man Brother Young is and I appreciate him very 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 much and I mean it with all my heart and I know I'm speaking for most of you appreciate him very very much and I appreciate the the freedom that he gives to the evangelist one we uh, have the uh, privilege to preach behind his pulpit but that makes a big difference because the expectation is always equal to what the trust the man of God places in the evangelist. The evangelist cannot really do much unless the pastor really trusts him. And I appreciate his trust and the freedom he gives to the evangelist as he ministered to this church. And then I want to say thank you uh, to Brother Wilson who has been a blessing in my life. You know this by now. I've, I've many times referred back to him as a... A nurturing father he has fed me the word of God he has loved me I got to spend two hours with this man two hours I know some of you are really jealous but I got to spend two hours with this man and uh, he even paid for my meal and um, and all I did is just I didn't say a word I said a little because I wanted to look smart and if you want to look smart, the less you say, the better. <laughs> and and uh, appreciate him very, very much. He has trusted me. He loves me. He told me I'm a good preacher, so I can care less what you think about my preaching tonight. If Bishop says I'm a good preacher, I'm good. I'm good to go. I, I'm no worried about it. I feel at home. This is home for me. And if if there's some haters who hate me, I want to tell you, this is the wrong place to hate me. Because if some of these people find out that you hate me, they'll kill you. 
I'm just going to warn you. I'm just going to tell you. You just don't talk bad about me. I got people who hate me. They don't even know me. Uh, you'll get that next week. But I uh, appreciate this church. And I'm delighted to be here with some of these great speakers who are going to follow me the next few days. So I'm blessed to be here. And I appreciate them as well. I know some of them. And I got acquainted with a few the others who I don't know, but I appreciate them and we hope to, uh, to be in the will of the Lord and give you what the Lord has spoken to us. I want to take a moment and say how much I appreciate my wife sharing this with me and she uh, is the best thing ever happened to me. She's a great mother, a great wife. She's a... Baby, I can barely read your writing. Let me... She's a... Great woman, great woman, I got it, I got it. Great woman. <laughs> wise man, I'm a wise man. Praise God. Appreciate her very much and uh, love her so dearly. And um, she has put up with me all these years. And she. Yeah. She's been really a tremendous blessing to me. Appreciate her very, very much. I have, uh, I'm blessed also to have a good friend, two good friends here. I got a friend from, from Louisiana. He's a true Cajun. And then I got a friend, he's a true redneck. So my good friend Tim Williams is here. We've been friends since Bible school many, many years. And uh, he's been a true friend. He rejoices with me when I... When I succeed, you know, it's not like some of those guys that tell they really love you and appreciate you and they enjoy your success until you really succeed and they, they just they start looking you funny, you know. See, so you're a good friend until, until daddy gives you a, a coat of many colors and all of a sudden everybody starts hating you. You'll get that next week as well. But uh, good friend. And then I got my good friend Steve Goge. Where are you, Steve? All the way from Louisiana, he surprised me. Hey, there you go, buddy. He surprised me, flew in and, uh, and uh, to be with us, and I appreciate him very, very much. These are friends that I, I've shared my best and worst moments, <laughs> more bad ones than good ones. And, um, and then uh, last but not least, I want to thank Pastor Booker. That's my pastor right there. Love him very much. He's been with me through hell. He left me at the gates of hell and said, you're on your own now, Bubba. You got the smoke, I got the flames, man. Love you, appreciate you and your wife very, very much. I got so many friends here and everyone has contributed to my, uh, to my Christian walk. And Brother King, it's good to see you. Love this man. They've been so kind to me, loving me, and I appreciate them all. So many, I don't want to miss anybody but i want to say thank you i'm trying to make myself comfortable um i want to talk to you tonight from the book of first kings chapter 17 honestly had come prepared to uh, preach a uh, generational message and i was really excited about it but i had everything in place I had already talked to some people, but I, I feel like shifting. And uh, I have this, um, this weakness in me. I, I love people too much. 
And, um, and I, um, I, uh, I feel the pain, I feel the bleeding, I feel the hurting, and I feel the need of addressing a few things that hopefully will help us touch God tonight. Um, and I want to take you to the first book of Kings, chapter 17, verse 8. And I'm going to ask Pastor Young, if he doesn't mind reading for me. Uh, we're going to read verse 8, um, and we're going to have to read all the way through 16, if you don't mind. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. He called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. I like to read, uh, again, if you allow me, verse 14, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, and neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth, the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. I want to talk to you with the help of the Lord tonight about this very simple uh, subject. Do the possible and expect the impossible. Do the possible and expect the impossible. Would you lift up your hands and just love the Lord for just a moment that we may draw God's presence in this house. Oh Lord, make us transparent and help us to speak a word from heaven, Lord. Anoint my lips of clay. Touch my mind, my feeble body. God, I praise you for all the glory you're going to receive tonight. I thank you for what you're going to do in this place. I thank you already for the miracles we're going to see. And, and I praise you for it, God. I, I thank you for the miraculous that's going to take place in this house. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Oh, God, I thank you, Lord. Because I feel you in this place. Woo, I feel you in this place. I feel you in this place. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory to God. I, I'm going to tell you the truth tonight. You know, I oftentimes hear people say, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. And uh, it's not that I'm dishonest the rest of the week. But I, uh, I'm going to tell you, 
I'm going to tell you the truth tonight. In fact, let me just say, let me just put it this way. Let me just give you a little, little cultural um, brief lecture about uh, the reason why I want to talk to you about true reality. If, when I first came to this country, I, was, um, I embraced the culture of this country. I was, uh, I was delighted. I, was, I didn't agree with everything. Um, uh, I think there were some things that I questioned and argued about. But when I came from Italy, I embraced this culture because um, that's the way I believe it should be. I'm a, I'm a guest in this country, and this country has been good to me. And I, I have, the least I can do is embrace the culture of this country and become uh, like one of you. Uh, actually, I hold several citizenship because you never know how things happen and go in life, you know. I can pass for Mexican, I can pass for Italian, I, I can be an American. It depends, you know, who is winning. So, just in case, you never know. You just never know. But... Uh, uh, that's important. But anyway, um, and so when I came here, I was told to, to respect the culture that I was going to be part of, and I thought that was right. And um, so I had to learn a few things in my own expenses, how, how to really uh, uh, you know, behave and, and refrain from being Italian because our culture was a little, little rougher. Um, and so I learned... It took me a little while, but I learned. For example, one thing I've learned is when you go in somebody's house and they serve you a meal, you and 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 the meal might not be, uh, you know, might not, you know, be uh, what you expected. But if they ask you how did you like the meal, you'd be nice, and you just say good. Now I struggle with that because then I had to go home and repent and cry and say, Lord, I didn't want to lie, but. I was forced into this, and uh, it was kind of struggle a little bit. But, um, but you see, and so I had to learn to be nice and polite, and I understand all that. I understand. I, I accept it. But if you come to Italy, and somebody prepares a meal for you, and the person who cooked it uh, maybe missed something, maybe too much salt. Well, the king, this is a lesson for I'm going to help you, brother. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, they, and they overcooked the meal. Or they may add too much salt to it. Or they, they do something that you know didn't turn the meal as, as you expected. When they ask you, how was the meal? You say these words. If you cook like this one more time, I'm going to kill you. You tell them the truth. And the reason why you tell them the truth and they want to hear the truth is because next time you go back to their house, you won't have to go through the same tribulation you went through the first time. So they correct what was done wrong. So when you, came back, when you come back home, they make sure that the spaghetti is not overdone or there's not a lot of salt in, in it. And, and so they can correct their mistake. And next time you're invited over, they're careful... Uh, uh, to, to, to manage that meal correctly. Uh, let, now, let me break it down for you. Because I know it's Wednesday night. The reason why I've come to tell you the truth is because if I tell you the truth, next time you find yourself in the same situation you found yourself right now, you can tell yourself, I've been told that I can do this. Because if I keep doing what I've done, I'm going to keep on reaping what I've been reaping all this time. But if some 
body tells me the truth, I can make a correction in my life and I don't have to live the way I'm living. That's why you ought to thank God for a preacher who preaches the truth. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he dislikes you. It's because he wants you to do well. Somebody's going to have to tell you the truth. Somebody's going to have to be courageous enough to say this is the truth. You see, that is the reason why the woman of Canaan was freed by, 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 by herself because she tried to play Jesus a little bit. You know how a woman can play a man any, any, any time. And she started crying and screaming and being very dramatic. And she said, how am I doing, Jesus? And Jesus turned around and said, you are a dog. How would you like to be called? Oh, I'm coming to preach to you in a moment. How would see? You think you got a tough preacher? You haven't, you haven't had Jesus for a preacher. Because see, nowadays the preacher is very, he wants to be popular, you see. And, and so he'll be careful to address you correctly. So instead of calling you a dog, I, I, could, I could think, I, I'm thinking he might call you puppy. You are nothing but a puppy. But because he wants to be... Uh, politically correct he, he wants to be popular he doesn't want to offend anybody but watch what the woman said she said truth lord it was about time somebody would tell me the truth it was about time somebody would tell me who i really am it was about time somebody would speak the truth because the truth will set me free from who i am you ought to be glad you're part of a church whose pastor is not afraid to preach you the truth. I know it's not always pretty. I know it's, it doesn't always make you happy. I know sometimes it brings a lot of conviction, but the truth will set you free. Oh, let's give the Lord some praise. I don't want a preacher to preach me happy. I want a preacher to preach me the truth. I need to know who I am and what I need to do to be saved. You know, it's no longer, it's not popular anymore now preaching the doctrine, you know, because everybody wants to be careful. Everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to be liked. Nobody likes to be rejected. But we're not doing you a favor when we hide the truth from you. Because I'm telling you, next time you find yourself in the same situation that you have dealt with a long time and don't ever seem to come out of it victoriously, oh, you so no, 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 this time, baby. Because I've heard a preacher who told me what I did wrong the first time and it's not going to happen again. Oh, glory to God. I'll get back to that in a moment. And so, I'm going to tell you the truth tonight. Because the truth is what we need. <laughs> it's what we need. I'm concerned. I'm really worried. As I've traveled now almost 10 years, I, I realize that more and more I see an omission, omission of doctrines and and, 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 and truths. You see, they don't preach against it. They just don't preach it at all. 
So they allow the people to, 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 to kind of become whatever the influences they're around, uh, that they surround themselves with. And, and so, no, no, they don't preach against it because if they preach against it, then everybody will know what they really think. So they omit it. They don't say anything about holiness and separation and baptism in Jesus' name. And leave everything to the people's interpretation. And hey, you got to figure it out. I ain't going to tell. I'm worried about I want somebody who tells me the truth. I want somebody who tells me what is written in the Bible. i got to know what can set me free. I didn't come to church because I had nothing else to do. I came to church because i got to make it to heaven. I want to know what it takes to be saved. Somebody's got to tell me what it takes to be saved. You, you, you see, I'm worried about it because we don't preach about Calvary anymore. Because it's too graphic. And then we don't preach about hell anymore. And we are creating a generation of ignorant people who don't know the other side of... And, and we, we are careful. And, and, and while we are, we are trying to... I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think we are trying to... Maybe we think we are helping the people, but truly we are not helping them. We are not, free, we are, we are not helping them to free themselves from those things that are holding them captive. I didn't choose to serve God because I'm afraid of hell. I know the beauty of heaven too well. But I need to know the other side of heaven as well. I need to know that there is a place of perdition. Somebody's going to have to tell me that there is a place I can end up to if I don't serve the Lord. I'm worried we don't preach about the rapture anymore. Because it's not popular preaching in a world that is... Is, is filled with, with, with reasoning. Let me, for the, but the king will remember this. I was preaching for him and we were coming out of a restaurant. I remember still, we were in Canada uh, and, and I, 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 talk, I asked him, what is this long line of people standing here uh, at the bookstore? And he said, well, there's Harry Potter, last book coming up. And, uh, said, uh, and he said, they, they're just waiting for the doors to open. It was about midnight and they'll buy a fresh new book for... And it's the last book of the series. I said, man, that's crazy. They could have waited tomorrow morning. <laughs> you know? Okay, you get that next week. I said, why standing in line at midnight when you can go there at 10 o'clock next day and just buy the same book? But no, people just, people just funny. But anyway. Then I went home and that couple of days later, I did a little research about this mania, about this, this addiction. And I read something interesting because the, the, the author of this article was saying the reason why so many people read books, fiction books like this one in particular is because somehow, in, in particular, this series transports people, raptures people into a world that is nothing like the world they're living in. It's, it's an escape for them from a world that they hate and dislike. We are doing ourselves a disfavor, Pastor Young, when we don't preach people about the rapture. Because the world that I'm talking about in the Bible, the new Jerusalem that I'm going to preach to you, is better than Harry Potter's world. If you want to escape into a new world, if you want to escape into a new dimension, honey, there is nothing like preaching about the rapture. 
We gotta preach our people up by the rapture. Some of these young people are familiar with a lot of terms that we have adopted because of this this new change in, in our world. But I tell you, I'm worried about some of our people that don't even know the word cap rapture or or, or, ta- or, or catch away. Or I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> because it's not. <laughs> let, let me tell you what's happening. I, I, I do enjoy technology. I really do. I use it. And. Uh, boy, I'm going to say some things tonight. Of you. They're not going to settle good for some of you. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Because the next, times, next time I come over to your house. And you ask me how is the meal. You know what I'm going to say if I don't like it. Says, so since I love you, but, but if you keep cooking like this, you'll be husbandless. <laughs> or if you keep cooking like this, you, you will be single for the rest of your life. You see, with the advent of innovation that we so much enjoy, and it's a good thing. In, in many ways, it's a good thing. With, with that advantage, we, always, we, are, we are also witnessing the murdering of our innocence. Because too many facts have murdered our faith. Our, our innocent way to exercise faith has been murdered. Because we are a generation of facts. We want to know the facts. Because technology has driven us to think that way. Everything has to be reason. Everything has to be systematic. Everything has got to be methodical. Everything has got to be progressive. We, 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 we have to explain everything. So it's difficult for us in an era like this to truly be innocent in faith. That's why Jesus said if you don't become like a little baby... There's something you have to lose. There's something you have to get rid of. You, you, you have to have the faith of a child. You have to approach me with an open heart. You, you cannot come to me and try to explain God and, and explain faith. That's why God is not doing the works that he would do in any other place. Because we Western civilization people are polluted with facts. We are the modern Capernaum. It's not that Jesus has lost power. Make no mistake, the same God who can do it in Africa, he can do it in America. But the reason is, in Africa, they have not lost their innocence, but we have. And so God says, I could do for you what I'm doing overseas, but you're going to have to become innocent when it comes to faith. Maybe this is the reason why we don't easily believe and pray and we have, we're filled with doubts. I tell you what I did a few weeks ago. Because you see, I don't, I'm, not worried, I'm, not, I'm not scared of you. If you, if, you, if, you, if you don't treat me right, I call Guido and Luigi, they'll take care of you, baby. 
I've been to hell and back. Man, the last thing I'm worried about is you. But, but the truth, <laughs> listen, I went through so much hell, I was waiting for the tribulation for a break. I hope the tribulation gets here quick, Sherilyn. <clears throat> Hello, you, you know. <laughs> but this, my, this is what I did. I just prayed for the sick. And there was a woman on the wheelchair. And watch this. Everybody was praying for everybody who looked well. But nobody prayed for the wheelchair girl. Because everybody's so worried about their own image that you have failed to exercise your faith. How in the world are you going to find out what God can do through you if you never exercise what he has given to you? You know why? Because we all, we all, I got to keep my image intact. I don't want to pray for somebody who is on a wheelchair and then I know it's not going to work. And then everybody's going to look. So what I did, while everybody was praying for the whale, I went to the sick one and I said, babe, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to do just like the Bible. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to get you out of the wheelchair and you're just going to step out. And if, we, if we're going to look bad, we're going to look bad. But if God heals you, thank God. You're going to have to do the possible and then expect God to do the impossible. He said, you do what you can do and then wait for the rain to fall. Get yourself ready for my coming. Get yourself ready for my doings. But you're going to have to do everything I tell you while you wait for the supernatural. Somebody can be healed tonight. Somebody can be delivered tonight. Somebody can be restored tonight. I've been thinking about your little girl. I, in the name of Jesus, if you're listening, baby, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus that whatever is wrong with you, God will remove it. If you believe it or not, believe that's enough, girl. Let, let me let me get to my message. So now the preacher is in trouble. Stay with me for a little while. Is this okay? Yeah. You 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 know that I'm a long-winded preacher. The, the rock church is no word about me. They know. They brought snacks with them, pillows and blankets. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, the preachers are the ones I'm worried about. <laughs> They're getting nervous. <laughs> but let, let, me, let me just get to my sermon here. You, you see, the preacher now is struggling through famine. He is affected by the famine just as much as the widow that we read about. Because the preacher is not exempt from going through uh, challenges. It's never the challenge that defines you. It's the way you respond to it that defines you. That's why the sister who is sitting next to you can shout and dance in the middle of a crisis. And you are going through the same crisis and you're depressed. It's not the crisis that is affecting you. It's the way you're responding to the crisis that is determining how you... You're going to have to show the devil. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. You cannot shut me down. You're going to have to kill me. Yeah. 
because I'm going to praise the Lord whether I'm down or up. It doesn't matter. My praise is not determined by what God can do for me. My praise is determined by who God is and I love God no matter what. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost already moving in this house. You can be touched, healed, delivered. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost right there where you are. Don't wait for the good part to get here. God is already doing a work in the Holy Ghost. And so the preacher is waiting. Is waiting at the brook for a fresh word from God. Because last year, at the same place, got mad at him there, and they had a supernatural encounter. He had a supernatural encounter with God. So he thought to himself, "Well, if God was here yesterday, I can wait for here for him here, and I'm sure he'll speak to me." What a year later, the brook is dry. The raven is not coming to feed him. And he's about dying. This is the problem with Pentecost. We're very... Ooh, i got to be careful now. Because see, I, I'm an evangelist. i got to be careful. <laughs> got to be careful now. Randy, you better be careful. Don't let your emotion take over because you will be without a place to preach for a long time. You've got to be careful. But we have become so traditionalist... That we have, we are blinded to the moving of God. And if there's one thing you want to learn about God is this. The first, the very first uh, behavioral trait of God is that God is a moving. That you can expect God, oh, wait on God on the same spot where you had an encounter yesterday. You cannot get stuck where you were yesterday. You're going to have to seek after God and see what is going. Because God is mobile. God is motility. God is energy. God moves. He's always on the move. Don't you wait on a fresh word on yesterday blessings. You see, this is the problem. I'm going to get dangerous now. This is the problem. We have turned moments into monuments. That's very dangerous. Because if we don't understand God's movement, then, 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 then we create monuments about everything. And everything becomes sacred. The way we do service becomes sacred. And the moment you change your style of serving God in the house, you become liberal. Oh, I'm going to say it. Let me break it down for you who don't have a degree. If we are not careful, see, God's plan never changes. We agree on that. And the absolutes of God are fixed law. You can't change them either. But there are some things that you have to be fluid about. Because it has nothing to do with God, God's resources, God's truth. And so I watch.
pastors fighting over whether their people needs to bring the iPad as a Bible in the church or they should bring the book. And I'm watching these two idiots fighting over an issue that I can explain in a second. And, and I would like to say, why don't you fight over teaching your people how to win souls and teaching Bible studies? Now, let me say it. I, I'm not going to, I know. I lost 40 pastors right there. You got to get this in your heart once and for all because we're beating and whipping this generation over things that we have no business. We are running these people out of our churches because we're fighting over whether it's pages, paper, or it's digital. Honey, the power of the Word of God is not in the written paper or in the digital paper. The power of the Word of God, if if is if you have hidden the word in your heart that you may sin not against God. I don't care if you bring it on your iPads. I don't care if you bring it on paper, on scrolls. All I care about is how you living by the principles of the word. We're fighting over things that don't matter. I'm telling you, you're beating your young people out of the church. You're scaring them to death. You're fighting them on the ground of futile subjects that don't matter, don't make any sense. I grew up in a church, well, I grew up in a time when fashion demanded my pants to be up in here. Now, I understand we've got to find balance there because you don't. You don't want to show your rear to anyone. But I'm not interested in watching your rear at all. So you better look like a man, act like a man, and walk like a man, and talk like a man. And I know we, I know we look funny out there. We don't fit in, but it's okay. We don't have to fit in. I know that pressure is on us, but we don't have to fit in. They need to know that we belong to a God who doesn't do like the world. Hey, gotta be careful. I'll have more to say, but I, I need at least three weeks left to preach. So this man is going through the same famine, the same challenges and and he's waiting at this momentous place, which was great, but God is not there anymore. Oh, I wish I had the time. I wish I had the time that this generation is not in conflict with the previous generation. That we both need one another, each other. We do. We, we really do. I've always think about the story in the Bible, and, and, and I'm stretching the text here without murdering the literal meaning of the, of the text. But I, I, I watch here Jesus who needs to feed the people, for thousands of them. And the Bible says, he asked his disciples, do you have anything? And the disciples said, we don't have anything. And then they looked, they found a little boy with five loaves and five fishes. And he said, he's got something. Watch this. The boy has what he takes. To make it happen. It's been given to the boy. The disciples don't have anything. 
but they know what to do with the fish. What it means is this, this generation has been given gifts that sometimes we don't know how to use, but this generation can tell us how to use it. We need this generation. We need to know what we are going to do with the gifts that have been given to us. I can do it without you. I'm not in competition with this generation. I'm not in conflict with this generation. I need this generation. I wonder if that is the reason why, and there may be a, more, a little deeper theological explanation to this but i wonder why i wonder if god when he said and your young men will will have vision i think and then the old men will have dreams and they said and the, and the girls will have prophesied they will prophesy i wonder if he was trying to say i ain't giving everything to one generation I'm not gonna give everything that's why the people of the 11th hour in the parable got upset because the generation of the 11th hour got everything the other ones had to work for and they got upset when God says what what matters to you what is your business what is the matter with you if I want to give this generation everything that I gave you and they don't have to work for it as much as you did so what why are you so mad at this young generation? Just because they haven't worked as we have, that doesn't mean God is not going to bless them. Come on. Because the reason why we are not going through the same thing the old generation is going through is because there is no time for it. It's coming quickly and it's going to have to do it quickly. Oh God, I'm going to need a place to preach. My phone is ringing and everybody's cancel, 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 cancel. Am I telling you the truth? Am I in the Bible? I don't want to be mean. I'm just, I just, I just, I don't have time for this nonsense. Here's Eli. Eli knows God. He knows God. Hey God, he can no longer hear. And Samuel had to tell him, I heard from God. And the boy had to break it down for the, for the big boy. Because there is a generational shift. God is empowering this generation with gifts that we have dreamed about. Now our elders still hear from God. And we better, we better submit ourselves and, and, and learn from them. But God has given a fresh word to this generation. Oh, you're not saying amen on this one because you're too worried about this. But this is the truth. God is not taking anything from this old generation. He's just blessing the new one. And we are getting a little nervous about it. Oh. I told you I'm going to tell you the truth. Let me work on this a little more. Because you make me nervous. And so the man is standing on... It's like Abraham. Almost killed his boy 
on a yesterday word. Imagine Abraham if he had failed to hear God again. The boy would have been dead. And we are sacrificing this generation on the altars of yesterday boys. You know what it really is? We want to fit this generation according to our standards in which we grew up and lived. And so we want to mold them. See, we're not trying to mentor them. We're trying to, we're trying to clone them. And you can never free somebody's gift. You can never free a generation until you let the generation do what God has empowered them to do. You cannot fit them according to your personal view. You've got to let God do a work. You know how I know that sometimes we clone the people we should mentor. And I thank Brother Wilson because he's a great mentor. He's not, he's not trying to make little Wilsons out of the people he's trying to mentor. But I tell you, I tell you when I know somebody's been cloned. When somebody's living with a dual personality. When he talks like his pastor, preaches like his pastor, acts like his pastor, moves like his pastor. And he's not his pastor because he doesn't have 40 years of experience like his pastor. I've heard kids, 20 years old pastor, who rebuke a church like somebody who's been in the midst for 50. Honey, you can't do that. You haven't lived long enough to rebuke a church at the age of 20. You haven't lived through nothing. It's getting quiet now. See, I wrote a book, in case you don't know it. I don't want anybody to know it because people get jealous for nothing. <laughs> Have you ever watched people's expression as you share with them a possible success? You, say, you know, man, I'm preaching for when I was young. Have you ever watched their expression? If you say, well, you know, I'm trying to, I put a little humble project together. I call it a book, you know, just a little. I'm just making my way into this new, all of a sudden, a book. You can even talk good English. What are you going to write? Can I say something? I had three editors editing that book. It's a good book. There's no grammatical error in it. And if you buy it, there's no refund. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, this is what I was saying. I was saying that, that there's this innate issue in us that, that when somebody begins to succeed, we, we become quite jealous and, you know, we get this bad attitude. You can almost feel it in people. You don't even know these people. Because I told you, I think I told this church, nobody really enjoys your success. And unless it's your mama. Because your success, not even your brothers, because I can prove you in the Bible, there were brothers who killed the brother as soon as the brother got a little favor. And 11 brothers want to kill him. So I can't even trust my brother. But I can trust mama. Because as soon as you succeed, you are, you are, you are, and what you're doing, you are revealing somebody else's failure 
or unsuccess, and they don't like it. That's why you got to choose your friends very carefully. Very careful. Not everybody who kisses you is your friend. Just quit being like this. Be yourself. You know what? I'm, oh, I'm going to say it like I want to say it. You, 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 you have been trying to be somebody else. Live up to somebody else's expectation. And while you're trying to do that, you are missing the joy of being yourself. What a pitiful condition. Be yourself. Who gives a rip what your friend is thinking about you? Who's saying what? Be yourself and live for God and serve the Lord. Don't let nobody tell you who you are. God tells you who you are. And Am I right? Am I theologically right? That God never called Jacob a supplanter. Esau called him so. And he lived up to his brother's words. You got to care less about what everybody thinks about you. Don't struggle to be somebody else. You know what is the... You see, some of us wants to be something too quick. And what we don't understand is what we become too quick without process is going to kill who we are. That's why I don't like some of you. Because some of you have become something that you are not. Because you have become too quickly. And when you become too quickly and you avoid the process, you are ugly. You, you, you're not the man God wants to build. But if you let God work on you and process you, if you want to be a prodigal son, that's fine. If you want to become too quick, go ahead. But I know a nurturing father who can work on you. And if you're patient and you wait, he'll give you your stuff when it's time. Say so you don't like me anyway, so I don't have a problem with that. I'm just going to tell her what I really think. I'm telling you the truth. So next time you look at yourself in the mirror, you say, okay, no more mask. I am who I am. If you like me, you like me. If you don't like me, you don't like me. I want to be myself. What I have become is not going to murder me. Oh, God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be my last No Limits. Let, let, me get, let me get to my sermon. I'll, I'll get popular in a second. So, am I telling you the truth? Too many people become too fast. And they lose the energy, just like Saul. The Saul syndrome. They start right, but then they become sour as, as they grow. And they don't only want their own share of success. They want somebody else too. It wasn't not enough he killed a thousand. He wanted just David's. That's why I like no limits. You know what no limits means? Say whatever you want to say. <laughs> if I'm off tonight, Pastor Young is going to say, okay, Frank, you're a good guy, man. But you're done, man. You're done. Stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach you happy in a second. So now the man is struggling. 
And the Bible said, God speaks to him and says, come up in here. I got something for you, but you're going to have to move a little closer. And so God speaks a fresh word to this man of God and says, now I want you to move out of the monument that you have turned into an idol. See, it just bothered me when we turn services, styles into idols. I told a preacher, I think we're doing everything wrong when we do church. I said, we should start with a repenting session. Instead of starting with a praising session. Because half of the church can even lift up their hands because they have sinned all week. The devil has been after their back all week. They come to church and you expect them to pray. They can't praise. They have to repent first. I wonder what would happen if we come to church and start repenting about our sins. And then watch the church be free to worship the Lord as they really want. I don't care how you do it, but don't turn it into an idol. Oh, God. Mm. I've been on the field too long. I've seen too much. I'm upset. Can you tell? All right, all right. I've got to be careful. I want to I wanna finish this. And so God says, I want you to... I'm going to take care of you, preacher. He says, I want to take care of you. He said, you've been famished. You're hungry, you've been broken, you've been waiting. I'm going to tell something to every preacher in this house. There are too many preachers on the verge of starvation. You need to plug yourself into a source that can feed you. You don't have anything to give anymore. You preach the same sermon, you just change the title every Sunday. You do the same thing repeatedly, and you don't even, you don't even realize that you, you're just on a, on, a, on a vicious cycle. Too many depleted preachers, not, not being able to give and, and, and to bring a fresh word to, behind their pulpits. I'm telling you, we've got to be careful. You've got to plug yourself into a source that can feed you. I don't care if it's AST. I don't care if it's your pastor. I don't care who is it. But you're going to have to plug yourself into something that can feed you. Something that makes you want to go back home and pray. Something that makes you want to go home and study again. Makes, something that makes you want to... Something that makes you... Something that embarrasses you to the point that you say, it's not going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. I'm going to do right the next time. Oh. Oh. And so the Bible says that the man was asked to go and find a widow. A widow who had the answer. But the widow, the widow is, has got a problem. The widow is starving too. Because when the preacher is starving, the church starves. When the preacher is not fed and taken care of spiritually, the church reflects its own nature. And, and so you see a depleted church on the verge of, of depression and discouragement. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's going through a spiritual famine. And, and there is no... There's no no, no way to, 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 to fix that. And, and, and you don't know what to do. You yourself are, are, are hungry and, and you yourself are in need and you don't know what to do. And, and God said, I, I, I got the answer for you. I got. You see, if you, don't, if you don't know God, 
You don't know what he does. Sometimes he does things that don't make any sense. Sometimes he asks you to do things that don't, that don't, that don't, that don't make any sense. But you've got to know this God you're serving. And this is what's happening in our movement. We are, we are married to a God we don't really know. You know, it's like this. It's frustrating to be married to a wife you don't understand. And most of us qualify for that. It is frustrating to serve a God that you don't understand. And this is what we have done wrong with, with our people. We haven't, we haven't fed them. We haven't taught them. Now we have given them Acts 38 every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. But have you talked to them about the God that they are married to? Because for 30 years in my ministry, I starved to death. Oh, I knew, I know holiness, I know standards, I know. Oh, but talk to me about God. Who is this God who I'm serving and I cannot understand? That's why you grow frustrated anytime he does something that doesn't fit your reasoning. You, you flip because you don't know his behavior. You don't know his character. It's like living with somebody all these years and you never know what to think about them. Because you don't know their behavior. But God wants to, you to know how he really thinks and how he really does things. He wants you to understand his behavioral traits. He wants you to know I'm a God who can be predicted. I don't, I'm not trying to drive you crazy. I want you to understand that I'm a predictable God. So when I do things in your life, you know exactly what I'm doing. You see, it's, it's this predictability about God that I love. God never changes the same yesterday and forever. But it's when you live with a God, you cannot predict whose behavior you cannot foresee that drives you nuts. That's why you flip anytime God does something, he takes some things away from you. You go through a crisis, you don't know what to think about God. You don't know. And you do stupid things. You make decisions you shouldn't be making. Because you don't know the God you're serving. But if you can understand his behavior, you can predict his next move. Because if God is predictable, if I've learned about the woman that I'm married to long enough, I know what she's going to do next. So I will never be caught by surprise. You cannot surprise. I know my wife. I know her movements. And if she does something out of the ordinary, I know what she's going to do next because I've lived with her long enough to know. And let me tell you something. Just because you have been saved all these years, that doesn't mean you know God. Because longevity does not guarantee you knowing God. Because he told his boys, so long you've been with me and you still don't know me. And he says, I want you to go to this woman I know you're getting tired, just I'm almost there. And this woman will feed you. And this woman will give you what you need. But really, she doesn't have anything to give. All she's left with, it's just a morsel of bread. Oh, you have no idea how many churches I've been in. Churches that are left with nothing. But just a morsel of bread. And they're saying, I got one more. And then I'm dead. There is nothing I can feed myself with. My preacher is dying. 
preacher is hungry. My preacher is starving. And this widow is hoping that something would happen. And, and she's living on leftovers. And she's saying, I'm, I'm about done. And if God doesn't do something, oh, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know how many times I've walked into some churches where, oh, God, where you can, you can smell the starvation. You can, you can perceive people just dying on the pews because nobody's feeding them. Only left with memories of the past. Only left with a, with a vague memory of what used to be like. And nothing for the present day. And God said, preach, I want you to go. And I want you to meet this woman. And I want you to ask this woman, once again, everything that she has. You're going to have to demand everything that she has left. And it is difficult to ask somebody who has got nothing left to release everything because they know this is all there is. And after this, it's over. But the preacher had no choice. And, and if he had not obeyed the Lord, he himself would have died. And so the preacher is forced to make a last demand on this woman. It's, it's difficult. You've got to understand now. It's, it's difficult for a man to go to a woman and, and tell the woman, Listen, I got, the, I got, I, I got you covered. I, I heard from God. And I, I got the solution for us to survive this famine. All you're going to do is cook this meal for me. And I'll eat it. And I'll eat it in your presence. And we will be blessed. And I can almost hear the woman say, Preacher, this is, it, this is not a good time for an offering. But if the woman would have not released everything that she had in the hands of the man of God, when the man of God was asked to do so, she would have been dead too. That's why some things that have happened in this church have happened in this very circumstantial events where the people had nothing to give, but they gave everything that was left. And when you do the possible, God always... And so the church is once again... Trusting. I want to tell the church today it's you have to trust again and you have to believe again and you have to love again and you have to release everything in the hands of a shepherd again. I know you don't have much left, I know you have starved, I know. I know you've done you've been done wrong. I know I know sometimes you've been left on the verge of of of, of just just death. But I, I want to tell you that we will never see the miraculous until the preacher learns how to obey the voice of God, even when it's not convenient.
Even when the truth is hard to express and spoke. Because I'm telling you, it's not easy to go to a widow who's dying, who's, who's got a dying kid in her, her arm. And, and, and he's going to have to ask her everything. She's got it's difficult for a preacher to tell you the truth when it's not convenient, when it's not popular. But if we have heard from God, if we have heard from heaven and do what we can do in the possible, if we can just do what we can do in our possibilities, I do believe that God will sustain us until the impossible will take place. He said, I'm going to give you enough. I'm going to feed you enough until rain from heaven will fall. And it will provide what you don't have. And it will do what you cannot do. And it will sustain you for years to come that you can't. I want to tell this church tonight, I've come to tell you, I know you're going to have to pray again about that healing i know i know you don't have much left to believe in because you've been been prayed on and you've been told about it and you're still sick you know how difficult it is for me to go to a church and ask the people i want you to come and you're gonna have to let me pray for you over your sickness when people have been prayed over so many times and they're still coughing and they're still sick it's like saying preacher I really don't have much left. I'm sorry, I don't have... I got this little morsel of bread and then it's over. You're going to have to ask them again, believe it. Believe. I told you we have lost the innocence of faith. It's difficult for us to believe again. It's difficult for us to trust again. But the miracle will never take place until the church understands that the preacher has a fresh word from God, has a word that can restore, has a word that can heal, has a word that can reconnect, has a word that can change the famine in the land. If the church and the preacher don't connect again, both of them are going to starve to death. We cannot afford to... to Preach and serve a church while we are on a feeding tube. We can afford to to raise a church while we ourselves are starving to death. Because I'm telling you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. We're going to have to ask God to give us a fresh word. And when the church that is hungry and the preacher that is hungry come together and do what's possible, God will give us the impossible. I want you to stand. I'm not done, but you're tired. I I want you to stand with me. Now, I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know. As a preacher, as a young man, as a young lady, I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe you've got struggles in your life. Maybe you've got sickness you just don't seem to be able to get rid of. You have lost your faith. It's difficult. You know, I understand the conflict of faith. Because I always remember those words that the man spoke to Jesus when he was asked, do you believe? And he said, I believe. And then he said, but help my unbelief. Excuse me, do you believe or not? 
But it's a conflict within us. A part of us wants to believe and the other part is doubtful and we struggle. And I, I've come to give you a word from the Lord tonight. I, I could have preached a pretty sermon. But I've come to give you a word from the Lord. I, I, know, I know you're starving. I know you're sick. I know you're hurting. I know you're bleeding. I know you need some help. And the Lord, before we move into this, the remainder of this week, God wants to heal you and make you whole. Whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's your ministry. I don't know who I've spoken to, but I know I've hit somebody in this building. I know I've spoken to some of you. Now, you can all look sophisticated and know he was talking to the guy next to me. No, no, it's fine with me. If you want to play that way, that's fine. I don't have a problem. But I wonder what would happen to the rest of this conference if a starving crowd can release everything to the feet of Jesus. Say, Lord, I really don't have much left. I don't even know how I'm going to make it. Whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional. And we all have issues that we have to be cured. Because you have, you have gone about your business and you're bleeding all the way. And you're trying to cover it up. You're trying to patch it up. But it's still there. And it still hurts and still bleeds. I wonder what would happen to the remainder of the service. And the remainder of this conference. If our preachers can be healed. And our people can be healed. And we can be restored. Until the impossible begins to happen. I wonder what would happen if we can do, if we can do our part and just obey God and say, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I know it's, it's difficult, but I'm going to do it. I wonder what would happen if, if the people of God will once again trust God. I love the word of this woman who said, I, I gotta, I, I have a problem with this. I got a dying baby in my arms. But she said, I perceive, I perceive that you have heard from God. I perceive that you have a word from God. I wonder what would happen if we can come to this place tonight, uninvited, unsolicited, and just say, Lord, I need to be healed. I need to be restored. I need to be made whole. Lord, I'm starving. I'm dying. All my yesterday experiences. I haven't heard from you since we were at the brook together. I haven't heard a fresh word since the ravens used to come and feed me. I've been starving all this time. I haven't been able to feed my church. My church is dying. My church is starving. God, I, 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 need, I need you to restore me. I need you to make me whole. I wonder what would happen to all of us tonight if we can just do the possible and give God what's left and then expect the impossible. Expect God to rain, to bring rain from heaven. I wonder what would happen if we can be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, I'm ready to be restored. I'm ready to be healed. I'm ready to be made whole. I wonder what would happen.